Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Petrolhead Podcast. I'm Kyle Mayer. I'm Chaz Logue. And this is our third episode of the podcast. Still in quarantine. And we're still in quarantine. Yep, still recording over Skype. Um, having gone through a couple of episodes, we thought it might be a good idea, um, since there's not a whole lot of actual racing going on at the moment, and everybody's kind of hunkered down in their homes for the time being, uh, yep. people are watching a lot of non-racing uh, racing content or car and motorcycle content um so we thought we might introduce a segment of our podcast called watch it with us each episode from here on out we will tell you what documentary television show uh something that we're going to watch between the present episode and the following episode and uh in the following episode we'll discuss that documentary or tv show um or even a historical fiction movie that's also Oh, on the table as a possibility, so you can watch it with us in a way um, in the week or two between our recording of the episodes. You watch the uh, content, we watch the content, and then you can kind of uh, join in the discussion a little bit. Um, if you have any kind of questions, comments about uh, whatever content you're watching uh, at the moment, at the time, or anything that you want to share with us about the podcast, you can email us at petrolheadcafe at gmail.com. That's petrolheadcafe at gmail.com. I apologize, I haven't mentioned this before in the previous two episodes, but that is uh, the email address for Petrolhead Cafe, um, which is the entity that is bringing you this this podcast. Chaz, why don't you add your idea for the the future of the watch it with us feature yeah so i think that it'd be a great idea to start this watch it with us we'll get an idea of what your questions are ahead of time we could talk about it have a debate um you know kyle and i when we first started meeting talking about this we realized we disagree in a lot of areas um so uh i think that uh you know him being a motorcycle guy me being more of a car guy um and then having our views on that which we'll probably talk about a little bit later today um but by also doing the watch it with us we can do uh live facebook events so uh in the future if this is something that uh there's an interest in we could plan a time and watch it live while we um maybe do some commentating on the side or, or something like that. Uh, that's ultimately uh, a direction we might take this. All right. So the very first thing that we are going to watch between now and the next episode that we are recording is free content. And it is a documentary called Racing Together, 1949 to 2016. It is a documentary about Grand Prix motorcycle racing, and it is available for free to watch on Red Bull TV. So we figured we'd start with uh, content that uh, doesn't require any kind of paid subscription so that everybody can participate. Um, so that's Racing Together, 1949 to 2016, a Grand Prix motorcycle uh, racing documentary available on Red Bull TV. And if you're more of a car guy like me, um, I think it's a great one because it'll take you through um, kind of where uh, MotoGP got its start. And then, you know, some of the champions of today uh, are talked on it. So you really see the history of it. So it's it's a, a great documentary if you're fairly new to spectating MotoGP, like myself, who's only been casually spectating over the years. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's about two hours long. So just so you can make yourself a little time budget, um, it's a two hour documentary. So just a little little heads up to set aside that time for yourself. All right. So Chaz, I realized as I was editing the first couple of episodes, we actually have never talked about the vehicles that we own. In the last episode, you talked about doing some birthday uh, drives for, for kids uh, with a group of people doing, uh, what was it, social distancing cruises yeah. uh, that you've been doing. But you never actually mentioned the kind of car you have. So who, is it a, an old rust bucket? Is it a Ferrari F40? What, what, what have you got? Tell us, Somewhere give us a little... What? Somewhere, yeah, something give, right in between. Yeah, give us a, a quick history of your, your daily drivers. Yeah, so currently, um, in back in January, so it's it's uh, April right now. Back in January, I picked up a, uh, a 2016 Jaguar F-Type S convertible. Um, so this is a supercharged V6 putting out about 380 horsepower, a two-seater convertible uh, made by Jaguar. And uh, these cars have been around since 2013. They made the first couple of Jaguars. When they first made them, uh, they only came out as a convertible and only came out as an automatic. They released a, a select number of manual transmission uh, versions, um, you know, six-speed uh, 
six-speed manuals. And what I wanted is I wanted a six-speed manual. So I've been looking for this car for a while. Um, and I basically said, you know, either red or black. Um, and I wanted it in manual. Now, the thing is they do make a supercharged V8 version, you know, that has 575 horse, uh, which would have been awesome. Uh, the issue yeah. is only the uh, only the V6 and the V6 uh, S come with um, come with the, uh, the manual transmission. And because I wanted the manual transmission over the power, uh, that's ultimately where I went with the car that I have now. Uh, so I've had it for a little while. I put um, it, it came with stock rims. I put um, some new rims and tires on, same size, but just um, some performance rubber so I can do some track driving with the car. Um, I've taken it to uh, Mass Wraps in Massachusetts to do some um, some accent wrapping. So the car is black, but I have metallic orange wrapping around it, and I have um, bright orangish yellow calipers and, and black wheels. Um, they also did some interior wrapping. Uh, wrapping as well so it's got some orange uh just highlight around it just to make it different i i can't drive a stock car it doesn't work for me <laughs> fair fair enough um so i've i've sat in your car is it normal i mean i felt like the bucket seats were kind of really like almost pinching not pinching but very tight to the size of my torso like almost yeah like really gripping and almost almost pinching i would say yep so they're adjustable um you can adjust oh. their- there's airbags on the inside of the seats that the part that, that rests against your your you know your obliques your sides mm-hmm. and uh, you can inflate those so it's tighter you can deflate it so you have more wiggle room um, you know there's also one in the back for lumbar support and things like that so when I'm in the car um, especially on track I like a really tight car I think of it like a you know a race bucket seat mm-hmm. it, rigid and you can't move your legs at all your hip is locked into place especially with a harness on um so this doesn't quite give you that same effect but it, it uh it's better to have that lateral support in a car that you're going to be cornering hard um yeah. versus not having any type of lateral support so actually the car i had before that was bmw one series uh had the same thing had the same air pockets because it had the sport m seats um so you can inflate and uh and deflate the side pockets as well although i think yeah. one of the side pockets didn't work because it just wasn't working okay <laughs> it never worked quite the way it's supposed okay. to be. all right yeah i i kind of thought your car was just telling me that i'm fat <laughs> no, i have it i have it pretty tight for more than most people like but again it's gotcha. adjustable. okay all right yeah what about your bmw that's the car that you had when i first uh when i first met you um and actually the that car is the reason not the very reason we know each other at all but I saw your car in a parking lot um and it had all, your BMW in the parking lot not the Jaguar but I remember seeing that car just from a distance and be like, oh, that's a tight little thing. So yeah, tell us about about that one. How long did you have that one for? Yeah, so I picked that up in May of 2013, and I had that until uh, 2020. I just sold that when I picked up the uh, the Jaguar as well. I uh, sold it to a you know BMW mechanic actually. But uh, so that car was um, uh, at the time I was tracking my 240SX, which was my dedicated race and drift car, and I was bringing that to the track and I was doing a lot of things at the BMW Club. I was also the chief steward for the BMW Patroon chapter. Um, this was like in 2012, I think 2012, 2013. And um, uh, so there were a lot of one series that would come to the tracks and I would get to drive them and also you know be on track with them. And they were just such fun little nimble cars really liked it so um i wasn't totally i I really liked the one series but i was also open to a three series when i was looking to get a car because at the time i had a mustang convertible that was uh just showing its age um so i was looking for a new car and um uh my uncle had sent me a few different examples of cars knowing you know because he knew he knew what i was into i wanted again a six-speed manual um and uh you know something with specific miles and years and everything so uh, it came up and I bought it. And uh, again, it was a car. I put some nice rubber and, and nice rims on, nothing flashy, just, you know, sport rims and sport tires. Um, and I started tracking that car for a while. Um, and so when I would go to the track and instruct, that would be the car I would I would take out, um, you know, for the instructor session, give passenger rides in that car. So fun little four door if uh, or two two seater four door excuse me, two door, four seater car. Um, but, uh, if, if you, if you could see, I had a Mustang convertible, I had the Jaguar and I had, I had the BMW and my 240 SX. So I like little cars. I don't like a big mm-hmm. car. I don't like driving SUVs. I don't like driving trucks. Um, I like being low to the ground and, uh, you know, calm, tight, compact, light cars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What, I mean, your BMW is not a convertible. Did you try to get a convertible? Or did you definitely want the hard top so you could 
it, it allowed you a little more um, flexibility and capability on the track. Yeah. So um, the Mustang, uh, I used to autocross that car, but I had a, a you know a dedicated track and race car at the time. And um, the problem with the Mustang was I couldn't bring it on track because it was convertible. So most people make you put a roll bar in um, you know, or a full cage if you're going to be taking it on track. I didn't want to do that to that car. So I wanted my daily driver to be something that was you know somewhat classy uh, because I was going to see clients and everything with it, but also something sporty I could take on track. And uh, I didn't want a convertible because I wanted to be able to take it on track without having to put a roll bar in it. Um, so mm-hmm. I was just looking for a hard top after having that car for a while i missed having a convertible because i no longer have a motorcycle um so i didn't really have anything fun in the summer um but the jaguar that i bought has roll hoops that um are uh, are behind the driver and passenger seat and i've seen jaguar convertibles on track and i was talking to a guy who had one on track and i was like hey how do you bring a convertible on track i thought they're not allowed and he had a letter from jaguar that he he gave to me um so that i can use it too that basically says um you know jaguar said the rollover protection we have is adequate so long as you pass the broomstick test so if you haven't heard what the broomstick test is that's when you're um when you're sitting down in the seat with the helmet on you should be at least an inch below if you were to lay a broomstick across the top of the windshield bar uh and then onto the roll hoop that broomstick should be able to pass over your head with at least an inch of clearance uh, so that's that's what's known as the broomstick rule if you ever hear that in racing mm-hmm. uh, make sure that you're you know if the car was up on up on its roof that your head wouldn't be touching uh, because you'd have uh, sufficient clearance. Um, so as long as I pass that and the, uh, the supposedly the roll bars are adequate. Nice. Okay. I feel like that. I feel like when I, w- we first talked about that car, you said you um, wouldn't be able to, bring it on track yeah i wasn't sure um honestly i bought the car as really just a fun daily car with the um with the idea of buying a race car you know in the near future um so typically as an instructor i drive a lot of students cars and i also um you know i work for a company where we have a bunch of exotic cars and i take those on track so i was still getting my track fixed so i said well if i can't bring it on track at least i can autocross it because they don't have roll bar requirements typically you can bring convertibles out uh so i'd still be able to get my fix and i'd still be able to get my fix on track um just using, you know, other people's cars uh, or using, um, uh, you know, cars for the company that I was uh, that I was working with. So either way, I didn't think it'd be a loss. And plus, I envisioned buying a race car, you know, in the near future too, as a dedicated track car to get into some more wheel-to-wheel racing. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that's cool. I didn't know until uh, just now that you'd be able to take your uh, Jaguar on track. Yeah, found that out about a month ago, fairly recently. Nice. Okay. Um, any other vehicles you want to? talk about that you have or have had that uh have a special place in your heart or yeah so probably the race car that i had was my 240 sx i know we talked about that a couple episodes ago but that was um you know 92 240 sx just an old um you know it was in good i was gonna say rusted but it was actually in pretty good shape uh when i got it and i just i it was totally stock i gutted it i caged it put seats in harnesses, um, put a welded diff in it, welded differential so that the rear tires were locked uh, when I was drifting to give you a better uh, and more predictable drift. And then I put some um, uh, drift spec coilovers in it to give me some tight adjustable suspension. And I just took it drifting. And then that uh, eventually led to track driving and that eventually led to wheel-to-wheel racing nice okay um and what you said you had a motorcycle so i had my parents um when i was away in college uh, my first year of college was down in florida um and when i came back my parents were like you know what you should learn how to drive a motorcycle um i didn't have too much of an interest in motorcycles my parents were they both had Harleys um, before I was born. So they went and bought me like a $500 Suzuki Marauder with the 250 engine um, and uh, said, hey, you know, we want you to get your motorcycle license. We just think it'll, uh, you know, it's a good thing to have. So it was it was uh, a Christmas gift. Um, so I got the bike. They got me a helmet. The helmet was probably worth more than the bike. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, got my license. And then from there, um, ended up, uh, my dad had a Harley, but he ended up having to go for surgery. So he wasn't able to ride it for a few years. So I kind of took over that bike, uh, for a little bit of, of time as a soft tail deuce. And, um, so I used that bike to go back to school and, or back and forth to school and, and, um, you know, to work and everything. So that was a fun bike to have. Um, eventually when I sold my bike was to buy my race car, uh, cause my race car was only 1900 bucks and the bike was, you know, gave me a couple, a uh, couple dollars to throw towards that too. Okay. All right. Um, was that the, you said the, the Marauder 250, that's the one that you sold? Yeah. Yeah. Cause the Harley, um, 
uh, ended up going back to my dad when he was uh, when he recovered from surgery. Gotcha, so he, gotcha. had bike and he ended up selling it and buying a you know a full dressed bagger bike. And now he's on a second nice. bagger. Okay. Yeah, um, my dad. You look at him. He's he's full blown Harley. He's bald, tattoos, got the long white beard that he braids and wears leather and do rags everywhere. So he's he's full Harley. <laughs> huh. Yeah, dude. I gotta meet your family members sometimes because you <laughs> sound like you had a. A ripping fun childhood because oh, yeah. uh, that was quite quite different from mine. Um, <laughs> I gotta say my parents are uh, are and were much more uh, conservative as far as the uh, the moving object uh, the the uh, I was gonna say moving object toys, but like any anything with a any kind of motor, electric or otherwise, even if it was Power Wheels, my my parents were keeping me away from it, unfortunately. Um, okay. Any other vehicles you want to mention, give a shout yeah, out to? Just that. I mean, I learned stick on a, a 92 Honda Civic, and that was ultimately um, given to me as uh, my first winter car because I had the Mustang. So um, having the Honda as kind of a backup emergency car was nice. But I was mm-hmm. eight years old when I learned stick on that, and then uh, that was given to me when I was 16. So we had that car for a long time. Oh, I taught wow. probably, yeah. I've taught maybe 10 or 15 people how to drive stick on that car. We don't have Very it anymore. Nice. Yeah, we drove into the ground. Oh, rest in it peace. Didn't, it didn't have a passenger airbag, but it had a spoiler. So that tells you where my uh, my parents' priorities were when they bought the car brand new. Uh, that they splurged for the spoiler, but they're like, yeah, we don't need a passenger to live. <laughs> Those were the days. Yeah. Aside from, you know, drifting it at the school parking lot and throwing it in a snowbank and never, uh, you know, knocking on wood, the car never crashed. So. <laughs> nice. What about you? So. Hey. What do you have for toys right now and then <laughs> Well, uh, my my stable is much less interesting than yours, to be honest. Um, I, I joke with my wife every once in a while, you know, that we're going to be that funny family uh, that is driving around old beater cars but has really nice motorcycles. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll embarrass the kids when we pick them up from school in our old beater, but... Um, you know, then when the the warm weather comes out, we'll we'll, we'll change the minds of all their friends. My first car was just a, a hand-me-down from my dad. I I technically bought it from him for a few thousand dollars, even though it, it wasn't an actual, it wasn't such a formal transaction. Um, but that it was a 2003 Chevy Impala. Um, and that thing was great, like plenty of power, plenty of space, great for hauling stuff or people, good fuel mileage. It was a V6, um, and I we I had it when we lived out in Illinois, and then when we moved to Connecticut a few years ago, I had just sold it before um, before we moved back. It had like 180 something thousand miles on it, and it was still a good car, but the transmission was having some issues. Um, probably the car that I will remember best, and that I kind of wish that I hadn't gotten rid of was our um, 1995 Toyota Camry, um, our beloved Camry, which is, is special because it's the first car that my wife and I bought together. Um, you know, it it cost us 1,900 bucks, and uh, we had to put another like 1,900 bucks. How come all cars go for 1,900 bucks? That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> That's I know it's car cost you know down to the penny. So right. <laughs> right. Um, and we we eventually over the next couple of years, we probably put like sixteen hundred dollars into it because, I mean, we, we replaced like the front axles and uh, we replaced the fuel lines and the brake lines because they were just totally rusted out. I mean, this is northern Illinois we're talking about that we, we bought it in. And for those of you who have not been to uh, the upper Midwest, it is a lot colder, a lot more snowy and a lot more salty on the roads during the winter than it is um, here in Connecticut, especially, or anywhere uh, further, maybe a little further south if you're listening. Um, up up north in, in Maine, I'm not sure what, what it's like, but certainly in the Midwest, um, I mean, I know it's cold in Maine, but I don't know if you you, you all up there just, just coat the, the roads with salt like they do in Illinois. But um, so, yeah, we did that, um, put some new tires on it, um, just did little little maintenance things uh, here and there on that Camry, and that thing was awesome. And it, I really hope somebody's using it now. We we actually got rid of it last summer because um, it was in an accident. I probably would have had it fixed because it wasn't going to be terribly expensive. But my wife was pregnant with our twin boys at the time, and if it was not twins, 
we might have fixed the Camry because then we can just put a car seat in the middle in the back. Um, mm-hmm. But since we were going to have twins uh, and we'd have one car seat on each side of the car, uh, we decided to to upgrade and get something with side airbags and a little safer. So now we have a 2009 Volvo S60 and I really like that car. Like it, it's definitely a worthy replacement for the Camry. It's a turbo inline five, I think, which is kind of weird. The inline five cylinder, um, but the turbo gives it a lot of get up 2.5 liter engine. And it's, it's powerful. Um, I mean, it's a heavy car, though. It it drives like a boat and uh, very boat-like handling, but super comfortable. Um, I've never been so comfortable in a car. So I remember um, last summer we took a little vacation up to Maine, and three hours in the car I spent driving, and I was n- I had no stiffness, no soreness after three hours of driving up to Maine. So I was impressed. After a two-hour drive in almost any car, I am leaning forward on the steering wheel with like my chin resting at the top of the steering wheel just to stretch my back out, especially a day yeah. after the back. Like those G-forces wreck your back. So driving home, if it's an hour and a half or two-hour drive, it is just it's it's miserable by the time I get home for sure. My other car is a 2009 Subaru Outback. It's a manual transmission. Um, I got it because it was a stick shift. It was a good price and it's like a special edition or something. So it's got some fancier speakers in there. It's got some nice leather seats and stuff. Honestly, like I am not a huge fan of it. It's actually for sale right now on Facebook Marketplace. And uh, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, so far, the only person who's who's been interested has has just wanted to trade for his Harley. (laughs) Like, I didn't even get a cash offer from this guy. He's like, oh, would you trade for a Harley? No, thanks. Um, But yeah, I mean, I kind of regret not getting a little hatchback, actually. I mean, the Subaru is, yeah, I got it for a good price, but it definitely has its quirks. It's definitely a lot car because of the uh the flat four and subaru is just i don't know i'm not sorry subaru i'm not impressed with the some of the quality of the parts on on your cars um you're not impressed with them all right i think we can uh end our episode right there folks (laughs) so that's it for me as far as cars i've never had any kind of high performance car but as far as motorcycles go um i've only had two what? I said, here we go, motorcycles. <laughs> I know. I've only, well, I've really only had one proper motorcycle and two motorcycles. And some people wouldn't consider, I had a scooter and I have a motorcycle. And some people wouldn't even consider a scooter a motorcycle, but it is for all intents and purposes. I bought the scooter in 2011 when gas was like 450 a gallon. And uh, it was a little 150cc um Uh, 150cc like made in china scooter that i bought used the like the first day i i I bought it from a sketchy used car dealer but it ran just fine and first thing i did with it is i was like probably probably like three miles from home and i broke the throttle cable like the, the the idle was really high and the throttle cable was really tight and like i just like ripped on that that handlebar because i tried to accelerate really fast on a busy road and it was just i just felt this this snap and it was like and so i was like oh man so uh i i called a a friend and we actually put the scooter in the back of a minivan um (laughs) so i felt bad because it it leaked a little bit of gasoline on the inside of the van um but hey we got home and, and you know wasn't a wasn't that big a deal but um but yeah, I mean, the thing didn't really have a muffler at all. It just had this straight, like somewhat rusted exhaust pipe that that was super loud. You could hear it for blocks and blocks away and it would backfire most of the time if you were when you close the throttle, if you were approaching a stoplight or something. Um, so I'm sure I scared a lot of people out there on the road. But um, yeah, by the time I sold it, probably like a year and a half later, um, a lot of it didn't work. The fuel gauge didn't work. The speedometer didn't work. I think the O odometer work but i can't i can't even remember i remember the 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 fuel gauge and the um speedometer did not work so at the end there i just had to guess at my speed by by approximating based on the traffic around me but but hey i uh i actually sold it for more than i bought it for so that was a win (laughs) sorry kid who bought it um yeah i bought it for five hundred and seventy five dollars and i sold it for six hundred (laughs) forty Oh. But um, 
but hey, it came with a somewhat new throttle cable, so <laughs> I made made some improvements. Um, but yeah, I sold the scooter because I bought um, a 2004 Yamaha FZ6. I actually bought it in Indiana, um, and that was yeah, I bought it for 2750, uh, so not even not quite three thousand um, dollars. And so a Yamaha FZ anything over Anything over 1900 is, uh, is is too much. I know. I, I it's true. Um, I was actually I was listening to another podcast uh, today actually. So little shout out to the High Side Low Side podcast. Um, their latest episode, the guys were talking about the best motorcycles for under three thousand dollars. You can buy a running bike for five hundred dollars if you if you look and you're not picky. But yeah, I I did think it was kind of funny that I paid more for my motorcycle than I did for the the Toyota Camry. But yeah, oh, the Camry, my beloved Camry. It was a better car when we got rid of it than when we bought it. No doubt about it. It was uh, like it had nice tires that we had just put on it. Um, I had replaced all the struts myself. Yeah, I definitely kind of babied babied our, our Camry, but it was, it was worth it because it ran and ran and ran and ran. And it was so good. And the transmission was so good. Ah, rest in peace. Actually, I hope you're not dead. I hope somebody uh, is is making good use out of you. Her name was Norbert, like the like the dragon from Harry Potter. Um, so I name all my vehicles. You name all yours? Some of them, yeah. I are the Impala that I had. I called it Vlad. Vlad the Impala. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, Vlad, it was Vlad the Impala. And then uh, the Camry was Norbert, and my motorcycle or my scooter was black lightning and my motorcycle is malcolm the motorcycle yeah i definitely i name all my cars um the honda i had i'll start from chronological here so the honda was uncle ben because it was a ricer <laughs> right? i rusted out exhaust so it sounded ricey the mustang was sally because i had no um originality no creativity there um okay. the my 240sx japanese car named it yoko Yoko, if you look it up, is actually the Japanese word for sideways. So ah. Yoko means sideways, also happens to be a Japanese name. So I, I named it Yoko because it was my drift car. So I was going to be driving it sideways. Nice, that's um, clever. My motorcycle was, my 250 was Katrina because she was a hurricane. And that was the big hurricane at the time was Katrina. Oh. <laughs> and then uh, my Jaguar is named Mick Jaguar. Oh. <laughs> Jaguar and Mickey for short because I'm also a Disney fan so Mickey for short but Mick Jaguar is his full name. Mick Jaguar okay did you say the BMW name? Oh yeah so BMW, I forgot that one so BMW was Sabine after Sabine Sick. Schmidt queen of the ring the, the queen of the ring um, nice. so if you go to um, uh, the, uh, the Nürburgring in Germany mm-hmm. yep. uh, Sabine Schmidt uh, does the Nürburgring taxi where she'll take you out in either BMW or a, a Porsche um, and give you a you know fast lap around the ring. So she's known as the Queen of the Ring. Um, she used to race BMW and Porsche. Um, so I wanted to name my car after her because it was a German car. That car actually was originally sold in Germany um, and shipped over to the United States. Um, and I bought it from uh, it was it was it was bought by somebody I think in the Navy. Um, mm. And then he back to Brooklyn um, and then you know sold it from there and then I bought it from, or not from nice. him but I bought it from the dealer. Okay, very cool. All right, Mick Jaguar, Sabine, the BMW. All right, um, Uncle, Uncle Ben. I'm sorry. Was that or it was that or Zatarad or you know? Zaz it up and Zatarad. You remember those commercials? Yeah, I know. I do. I remember. I, I could yeah. name it. What? I could I could have named it Minute Rice. Minute Rice. Yeah. All right, so now we're going to get into uh, manual transmission stick shift versus paddle shifting with a dual clutch transmission. Um, wait, speaking of dual clutch transmission, do does a car have to have a DCT in order like for that paddle, that quick shifting paddle thing to work? No, you can do like a Lamborghini. Uh, I don't know about the newer ones. I, I you taking a Gallardo on track and that had a single clutch paddle shift transmission, uh, which makes it very clunky. It's not a smooth mm-hmm. Uh, you know dct is just butter dual the dual clutch but uh right yeah so it's uh dual clutch is definitely better but it's not a requirement the jaguar f-type has paddle shifter versions right 
Yep. Yeah. It has an eight speed paddle shifter in, uh, it's, it's offered in all models. Um, the only stick is, uh, stick is only available in the V6 and the V6S. Uh, and there's very limited models out there that have that, but yeah. Um, the R and the SVR only come in paddles. Mm-hmm. Is that also a DCT? Good question. <laughs> Probably know that. I would have to look that up. Okay. So is there any particular name for um no i think it's it's, it's an automatic transmission on the jaguar so it's a it's an automatic with paddles okay that's what interesting so but basically it must be I think. Okay. I wonder how quick it is because my parents have a newer Toyota Avalon and that has paddles, but it, it's just a gear selector. Um, like when you when you when you depress when you use the the paddles and depress it or squeeze the paddles, whatever. Um, it doesn't change the gear right away. Like there's definitely a pause. It's not like that genuine thunk. Like you don't feel that like like there's there's yeah. none of that. Um. Like, you'll just be going, it's like, and then you do the paddle, and then it's like, like, it's 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 a lot more lame. You've already been partial to manual transmission, stick shift cars. You've shared a little bit about your dad teaching you stick when you were eight years old and, and bunny hopping around and eventually getting a feel for it. Do you want to add any more of your uh, learning to drive stick stories, or do you have any uh, stories you want to share about? learning to drive stick or somebody else learning to drive stick yeah so that honda that we were just talking about that i had the 92 civic i uh maybe it was a 91 no it was a 92 um i i've taught maybe 10 or 15 people how to, how to drive that you know i taught my best friend how to drive that to a bunch of friends that i had um how to drive because you know it's not often that somebody has a manual car that they have no compassion about when you're you know when you're 16 any car is a great car um but mm-hmm. this was this was like the beater family car that uh, that was kind of given to me, and uh, so I didn't really care about the clutch on it too much. And I would, and I would teach people to drive it, and uh, I literally taught dozen, uh, at least a dozen people to drive it. Um, but by the time I had met my wife, I'd gotten rid of that car, um, so I never taught her to drive stick. And I had uh, my BMW. I didn't want to teach her on the BMW because clutches are a lot more expensive on a BMW than a Honda. Um, and now I have the Jaguar, and I definitely don't want her to drive stick in the Jaguar. Which, uh, <laughs> it's actually it's a very difficult stick to drive. The clutch is really weird on the Jaguar compared to other cars. But anyway, huh. uh, when I had the BMW, uh, I remember one time I was um, gravely ill with the flu, where I, I the night before I was wearing Wearing like seven sweatshirts and I was still freezing when it was probably 70 in my house and and I went to bed just knowing that I just feel like crap and I woke up and I, I couldn't move and I was sick and my driveway um it was it's the garage and then we have a driveway so at the time my BMW was parked in the driveway and my uh, my wife's SUV was parked yeah <clears throat> was parked in the garage and she came to me that morning she's like look I, I need you to move your car so I can go to work and I'm like, I, I can't get out of bed. I'm just so sick. And she's like, well, what am I going to do? I was like, well, you know, call your boss, ask to work from home. You, you have work from home ability. I, I think they would understand. She's like, no, I can't ask that. So then, um, yeah, I'm just kind of forgetting about it, thinking she'll, she'll just figure it out and work from home. And I go back to bed and then she she comes back up. She's like, all right, where are your keys? Like, what do you mean? She's like, well, I just watched a YouTube video on how to drive a stick. So <laughs> I think I got this. And I jumped out of bed. I'm like, nope, I got it. I'll move the car. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, you know, you can't you can't watch a video and, and get the feel of, of what a clutch feels like if you've never felt it before. Um, and uh, not only that, with the, the six speed on the BMW, reverse is you know, there's first is up to the left, right? But if you go farther to the left and you have to push it and get it an, give it an extra push and then up, that'll put you in reverse. And she would need to back out of the of the driveway. So. I didn't trust that she would know what reverse feels like because it feels different than first, but she wouldn't know that. Mm. So I had an, a, envisioned her putting it into first, trying to you know ease off the clutch, and then the car going forward, her panicking, popping off the clutch, and the car going through the driveway and totaling both our cars, uh, or not totaling, but at least wrecking. So that was my that was my envision. So I jumped right out of bed and I uh, willed myself to move the car uh, so that she can go to work. And then I took the garage just to spite her. <laughs> oh, but. I mean, you eventually uh, taught her to drive stick in the BMW, right? Yeah, I took her out and she was she was good. We've only had, um, we only went out like once or twice um, with it and she had never really driven it since. So it's probably something she's lost at this point. And in an emergency, mm-hmm. she'd probably be okay. Probably not with the Jaguar because, again, the clutch is very different in that car compared to the mm-hmm. Beamer. Um, but, 
you know, she would be okay in an emergency, I think, to get her car home. Yeah. So she's just kind of like, meh, whatever, stick shift. Not a, not, wasn't not that. Hmm? Wasn't her thing. So that way, if yeah. I, if I want to buy a nice, cool car and I don't want her to drive it, I'll just buy it and stick. <laughs> That's Is she gonna listen to this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Petrolhead Cafe takes no responsibility for marital <laughs> problems of our co-host. Um. Okay. Cool. Um. Well, yeah. I I learned stick in a very. I essentially really learned stick when I knew how to teach myself stick. Actually, um, there were several times, and I I like it just astounds me that people teach stick. And actually, I was taught at, at first when I when I first learned to operate a motorcycle, I was 14 and I, I was doing it on a dirt bike. Um, but at that time, I was um, with a cousin of mine uh, who owned dirt bikes and he was teaching me. And then later in college, um, another friend of mine tried to teach me to drive stick his his car, which was stick shift, which is like a. He's got a, um, it was a Honda Fit, like the first generation Honda Fit. He had a, a five-speed. Um, and both of those people did it the wrong way. And I cannot believe people do this. They say like, oh, just let out the clutch as you're pushing the accelerator. Like they just oversimplify it that way. And that is just such a terrible way to do it. Because when I was learning in the car, I just, yeah, I bunny hopped. I stalled. It was just squeal the tires along the parking lot and it was just a mess and then when i first learned when i was 14 i mean of course when you're 14 um you're used to doing driving go-karts at the amusement park and you know you can just be full throttle at, on that go-kart it's not really going anywhere you have a lot of control um you know with the little go-kart so of course when my mom's cousin we were in his front yard and he's standing next to me um he's just like oh just like let out the clutch as you uh you know, give it some gas. And so, of course, I just think that, like, you have to give it a lot of gas, even though it was a little, like, 125cc uh, Honda something or other dirt bike. You know, it was just this, like, and I just do this massive wheelie, like, knock over my mom's cousin. Like, we both fall to the ground. Like, the there's a huge divot in his front yard. Dirt goes flying. Like, I don't know. I think I was hanging on to the to the, the throttle a little bit. So, like, I got pulled and, and finally let go of the, the throttle and the, the bike like rolled over and and um and it was just a it was just a mess and i couldn't i like i can't believe people teach manual manually operated vehicles that way but actually it was before college that i learned stick the right way and it was um a friend of mine had a little two-door toyota like old little two-door hatchback only had one rear view mirror i can't even remember which side it was on driver or passenger i don't know but he he started with the friction zone of the clutch which is what you're supposed to do and he kind of taught me like i didn't even use the accelerator um for a while like we just kind of like putzed around the uh parking lot just using the friction zone the the reason I kind of got suckered into learning the wrong way after that in college is that I I just thought that um, the friction zone and the clutches in newer cars were a lot more sensitive because I had learned on an old car. I thought that I could, you know, quote unquote, ride the clutch a little bit more. And it wasn't that big a deal like, oh, it's an old car. It's got a worn in clutch. Um, yeah, that's how little I knew about manual transmission cars at the time like i didn't realize that i could kind of coast around in the friction zone with any manual transmission car essentially you just have to get a feel for where that friction zone starts and ends and then you kind of gently apply the gas when you're in the friction zone and then ease off the clutch so yeah in college and then afterwards another friend tried to teach me that same thing and you know i i failed miserably both times in college and afterward but um i finally decided after becoming a after learning how to ride the motorcycle properly and getting my license and becoming a certified motorcycle instructor and the early exercises in that course are all about the friction zone it's just friction zone friction zone friction zone tiny little bit of throttle just minimal minimal gas and um i decided i i just kind of put my foot down to myself when it came to cars and i was like all right i don't care what happens to the clutch i'm just going to figure this out using the friction zone because that's what i know i'm gonna just just figure out the friction zone on this manual car and so that's the mentality that i went into because i never actually owned a stick shift before my subaru but when I bought it, I was like, this is how I'm going to drive it. And you know what? If I burn the clutch 
to death, then so be it. But I've got like I have no choice. I bought this car. I've got to drive it home. And uh, that's kind of the way I taught myself was actually by utilizing the friction zone um, and not and not that really terrible way of, of learning to drive sick, which is like, oh, just let off the clutch as you give it some gas, which is such a te- such terrible advice. And I can't believe people people teach other people to drive stick like that. Like how how do you how do you even know how to drive stick if that's what you're gonna tell somebody else? It's just weird. You know, if you're like, oh, you just have to you just have to, you know, get used to it. The best thing to do is to own a manual transmission car. Like, yes, but I mean the principle is the same, you know, of, of that friction zone. So kind of annoys me that people who drive stick are really bad at teaching teaching others how to do it um but yeah i mean having a stick shift car it was a novelty at first i had my subaru for like two years now and um engine braking can be useful on a on a downhill but i hate commuting with you can do that with stick shift car you can engine yeah. brake if you do the gear selector and everything that's true but i mean the yeah i guess you know the my volvo does have a gear selector ability I don't know what year it became pretty commonplace, but yeah, even even in 2009, which my uh, Volvo is, you can you can do gear selection. So I guess you can engine brake in that in that way, but not so in the in Norbert the 95 Camry. Um, mm-hmm. But like when I'm when I'm in traffic on the highway, if if there's a traffic jam, I hate having a stick shift car. It's it's exhausting. It's annoying. Um, you know, I don't like to commute with a stick shift car. I mean, I don't like commuting with a car, period. Um, I wish I could walk to work. That would be my ideal uh, situation. I have been working from home and I'm it's not my jam. Like working from home is, I, I gotta get out of the house. I have to like mentally separate work and, and, uh, and home. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you do it, Chaz, but I, I could, I cannot tolerate this for, for much longer, to be honest. Yeah, I travel um, a lot because it's not too bad. Usually, but right now it stinks. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I guess that that would that's one way to to handle this. Just you know, if you had a job where you'd be able to travel a lot, but um, if I could, I would walk to work, and after that, I would ride my bicycle or take the bus, some kind of public transit. If I can take ha, using a car to commute, that's that's the way to go. I think cars are it, it's a waste of a car to commute with it um i think cars should be for fun and um i mean even like i mean for me the psychological factor is even like on a friday i'll commute to and from work and i'll hate it i'll hate my stick shift but then saturday morning i'll go out to the grocery store with my stick shift car and i'm like and if you know i'm like oh this is this is kind of nice. This is kind of fun. Like I'm driving my car. Like I'm really driving for like the psychological factor for me and the context is a really big factor for me because I can commute to and from work on a Friday and absolutely hate it. Getting so frustrated and fatigued by the stick shift as I'm slowly slogging my way through a traffic jam. But then on Saturday morning, I can wake up refreshed and if it's a nice sunny day out, like I can just go to the grocery store in my stick shift subaru and it and have have fun while i'm driving i'm like oh yeah i'm really driving the car like i'm operating this vehicle i'm more engaged with it so for me um you know i i can and i do enjoy the stick shift car um and i think someday if i have a fun car that's kind of a weekend like a weekend trip car or a little sunday afternoon drive car that's uh like a like a porsche convertible or something um i think i would really enjoy um that stick shift um the manual transmission for sure but i think if i'm gonna go to the racetrack i would much rather have a paddle shifting quick shifting transmission you know give me that give me that paddle shifting dual clutch transmission any day I'm at the track. Like if I, I, I would be perfectly happy never, well, I don't, I don't want to say never driving a stick shift car on the track because there's obviously vintage cars, but like a modern car. Like I think I would never do what you did with that with that Jaguar. Like I would be all about the the quick shifting paddles all day. And I like, I think you're, I don't know, too, uh, 
I don't want to say crazy. I don't know what to say. Like, I think <laughs> that you are you're living in the past, man. If you're sure. getting that, if, if you're if you have the got this modern luxury uh, sports car with the the stick shift, and you're you're not embracing embracing uh, the latest technology. So I think the the only time that I'm missing paddle shifters, I would say, is when I want to be quick off a line, right? So if I'm at a light, some and I want to just take off fast, uh, I'm I don't have of launch control right where the other guys do the other guys in my car with the paddles they have launch control um so launch control is really the only thing i think i miss by having a stick shift um but the commuting for me it's the opposite i don't have to be awake and feeling good to, to feel good about driving stick the stick is what makes me feel good if i'm commuting to work and i get in my car um it's fun it's fun for me and it you know it wakes me up and it's like oh good this commute isn't totally boring um, because I get to do some fun stuff that I like doing on my way to work. And then on the way home, it's the same thing. You know, ah, the work day is over. I get to go have some fun on my, you know, 20, 30 minute commute on the way home. So, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I would say I drive it different than most people too, to the fact that I heel toe shift pretty much every single corner, every single stoplight. Um, I'll double clutch shift. Uh, You know, I I switch it up just to keep it interesting. Uh, So I'll switch up my driving style. Sometimes I'll try left foot braking um, just to, you know, again, just kind of keep it fresh and everything. But uh, no, I mean, it's, it's total opposite for me. I think paddle shifters just, it takes you out of the car. It puts your mind, I don't know, it, 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 for me, it just, it, it disconnects you from the car uh, to a way that I don't like. Now, yeah, when I'm on track and I'm, if I have paddles, I'll, I'll be a little faster. Um, but at the same time, I like, uh, I like having a slow car on track and I'm passing fast cars. When I caught a GT3 Porsche who is in the quote unquote advanced solo group and I'm in my 155 horsepower Nissan. And I'm passing him um, because he's just over breaking for the corners. He's, you know, slow in, slow out. Um, You know, that to me is a huge accomplishment. So I prefer a car that doesn't have any technology in it. My Nissan didn't have traction control, didn't have ABS. You know, if I locked up the brakes, that was on me, um, where the car never saved me from a spin. It was always myself saving. So when I get right seat with Mm -hmm. a lot of these. Guys, they'll, they'll show up to the track with a GTR, a Nissan GTR, and that car's got. That, I feel like you can't crash that car because I see these guys do all the wrong inputs into a corner, um, mm. and the car just saves them. And you can hear the car saving them. You know it's doing it. And then they're like, "Hey, should I turn everything off?" And I'm like, "No, you. We would be dead if we if we turned off." <laughs> oh no. We, we would be in that wall right now and they would be they would be calling your emergency contact i'm like no we're we're not turning it off until you can drive without being saved um so it's a matter of pointing out to them hey look you're being saved right now by the car so uh i know i'm kind of drifting a little bit from the the paddle shifters to the to basically just technology in general but um i think the more that i can do you know if i had if my car came with a crank start option like the 1912s you know i would uh i would probably get that i like the key i don't have a key anymore i have a push start right uh i like the key feel i like i like the uh anything i can do to manipulate the car when i pop my hood it's all plastic and i hate that i don't have a dipstick i don't have anything it's just plastic i pop the hood of my nissan i can see everything i can see the water pump i can see the alternator i can see literally every part of the engine um it was just all there and it was easy to work on now like i'm afraid to work on i was afraid to work on the beamer i'm afraid to work on the jaguar it's too advanced for me so i i prefer i don't want to sound like the oh you damn kids with your your hopscotches and your, your <laughs> bits and your Pac-Man video games. You know, I don't want to sound like that, but uh, um, when it comes to uh, driving more, <laughs> I <can> be, <laughs> when it comes to driving, the more I can be in control, uh, the more accomplished I feel. And, um, and it's more fun to me than, than zoning out and driving an automatic. I think if I, commuted with an automatic um i would uh i would probably be a more distracted driver and less less you know focused on uh, on the task at hand yeah i can i can kind of see what you're saying with you know, especially the more of a temptation to be distracted when you're when you're in an automatic transmission car um yeah so you like as much kind of mechanical like that mechanical and kinesthetic connection to the vehicle yep yeah for sure okay the more mechanical feeling like so my bmw had an electronic differential and i hated Mm. the way that felt around the corner um because when you when you're you know when you're really going into a corner you could feel when that differential starts to kick in and it just it didn't feel the same um Mm. as 
uh, the Jaguar has a, a mechanical limited slip differential. So that thing you could feel, you could feel the mechanics on it slipping. And when I can feel and I know what's going on, I like it. When the computer's doing it, I feel like I'm not sure what's going on and it's more unpredictable and I don't like it. So, you know, when I got huh. the BMW on track, I turned off all the computers and I just wanted to be the one to drive it. You know, if I crashed it, hmm. I wanted it to be my fault. I didn't want to have anything to blame. So, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's interesting um, because I I wouldn't necessarily say I'm the opposite, but I I will take all the rider aid, rider aids, driver <laughs> aids. I'm so used to, to thinking about rider aids on a motorcycle. I just say rider aids, um, which is which is a real thing. Um, but I'll take all the driver aids all day. Cause like I uh, kind of lost my train of thought for a second. Um, like I I want to push the limit of how fast I can go. And I want to be able to fully trust the machine and you kind of use my brain power for other things. Like I would much rather use my brain power for like thinking about how to like when I'm going to break and how I'm going to, you know, how much corner speed I'm going to carry into and when I'm going to get back on the gas and, you know, figuring out my line and how am I going to approach the turn? Like I would much rather have my brain power focused on the actual way I'm proceeding around a track, um, you know, rather than have some kind of some brain power also be committed to um, kind of shifting and the heel toe thing. Like I want when I when I go to the track, I want maximum speed, maximum fun. And I just want to like put my tr- like I enjoy putting my trust in a vehicle um, and, and just like here, like you can you can control these things and I can focus on this. And I'm just going to trust that I'm not going to go spinning off track if I if I push the, the limits of grip in this corner. And um, and yeah, and just go from there. Um, I, I don't really I guess it's really I, you brought up something that was really interesting, just thinking about like, oh, if I crash it, it's my fault. I didn't I never thought about that, but I, that's not something I'm concerned about. Like I, if I crash, it's like whatever I crash. And yeah, I, I would blame myself either way, but I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily look at a car and be like, oh, this stupid car made me crash. Yeah. So like if I'm going into a corner and I have everything turned off, you know, it, sometimes I know I'm going into the corner too hot. And I know what the car is going to do. The rear end is going to come out a little bit or maybe the front's going to push a little bit. Um, but if I'm now fighting that while the computer's fighting that, you know, maybe I'll overcorrect. And now I'm, I'm trying to deal with battling what the computer's doing um, mm. or, you know, maybe the computer is trying to save a slide. But I want it to slide because that's going to be my way around the corner um, mm. where if I don't slide, I'm going to go too wide. Uh, so the computer can't see what I'm seeing. They don't see the road. Right. So they don't see. Mm. I may be doing this on purpose or yeah, I got in over my head, but this is going to be the best way to get me out of this unscathed. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of my thought. Um, I mean, I think you bring up a good point about, uh, you know, wanting to focus on other things. And I can tell you when, when I have a novice driver, um, it is a lot easier when they have, um, you know, an automatic or paddles in the car. Um, and typically if, even if they have paddles, um, I'll have them just put the car in automatic and, and let the car do the shifting because what I want them to focus on is let's get the line down. Let's get braking into a corner. Let's get, you know, um, transitioning from brake to throttle as you hit the apex and throttling out smoothly and, and what you're doing with your hands. So there's a lot to think about on your first couple tracks. Um, and, uh, if you have a manual, you're adding another factor where some tracks you have to downshift. And if you don't, know how to heel toe downshift you're going to be you know coasting through the corner and and that's fine and that's what i'd rather than do versus trying to heel toe and then you know getting us into a shift lock drift but um i mean so that's a good point i think you know when you're when you're first at the track unless you're super proficient with heel toe downshifting um and, and you know shifting in general um i would much rather they have a uh, uh an automatic car i mean you'd have to be really second nature heel toe downshift it's got to be something you do on every corner in the street um to be able to do that second you know where, where it becomes second nature to you while trying to learn okay this is my racing line this is my um you know my break point this is going to be my turn in my track and my apex my track out uh so yeah i mean that's that's a great point there um where if you're going to go to the track but then for me i mean i think i would i would have more fun so here's a question i'll post to you because i know the answer mm-hmm. for myself is would you have more fun in a let's call it a, a GTR, right? A pretty fast mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, car? Or would you have more fun in, let's call it a 1960s, you know, Ferrari Le Mans car? So both very fast cars, both very different cars. Um, you know, one yeah. have all the technology, it's going to have paddle shifters, and it'll be faster, uh, where the Le Mans car is going to be more raw. Um, you know, so what, what would be both are both are lined up there? Take one out on track. Mm, probably ignoring, the newer ignoring, car. Or ignoring the historical value of the Ferrari too, or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably pick the the GTR. Um, yeah. It's just because I don't really know. I think you bring up a, a good point when you said the word raw. That is that is something that I didn't think about actually. Actually, I, I was watching uh, the Grand Tour probably a week or two ago. The episode where James May gets in the Porsche prototype Le Mans winner from oof, the late, very late 60s or 70s or something, but one of the early Le Mans winning prototypes from Porsche. And um, that seemed like a pretty, pretty rad car. And so I think I would appreciate an experience like that, just that, that raw experience. But until I try it, I mean, maybe I would end up having more fun in that in that older Ferrari, and I just don't know it yet. But if this weekend, what's tomorrow, Friday, you know, Saturday, like let's go to Lime Rock, and I have my pick of of either car, I'm I'm gonna go with the GTR. Like it wouldn't take me very long to to think about that. It sounds like you would pick the Ferrari. Yeah, I car. The- the Ford GT, whatever it is, the 60s car. I like something that's going to be a handful to drive on track because it's just so much more rewarding when I can fly through that corner, you know, knowing that uh, it, it's me driving the car and not the car driving the car. Um, yeah. So that that's a rewarding thing. And I one of the things I see with car guys all the time, and I might have said this before, is, um, you know, if, if you go to like a car show, people tell you about all the good things about their car. If you go to a racetrack, people tell you all the bad things about their car because they want you to think, yeah, the car's crap, but I'm a really good driver. So that's why it's good. So mm. you can bring the same car to a car show and the same car to a, uh, a track. And it's going to be a very different conversation with the owner because, uh, you know, car shows, they like to show off the car and, and tracks they want to show off. I think the driver a lot more than the car. Uh, you know, there's, there's of course exceptions to every rule there, but, uh, um, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of my general feel. So I would rather, I would rather be the one, you know, that that's the result of why the car is doing well. See, I just don't share that same feeling. Like the, I don't know, I don't really have that personal satisfaction goal that it sounds like you have. I just want to go fast. I just want to have fun. And that's, that I, I value that more more than being skilled enough to drive a less technologically advanced car fast or even like like yeah I I would say that there is value I, I would enjoy driving a slow car fast right like in motorcycling you know it's often said like it's better to to, to ride a slow bike fast than a fast bike slow same with, um, same with, yeah right and then like yeah right uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast, right? So I get it. Like I, I understand the value of uh, a car that's not technologically advanced. Like if I just went out and bought a, a Miata or something as my little track car, the value in using a car like that would be taking things slower, like the understanding the the racing line or my entry and apex and exit of the of the turn. But it would be a means to an end. It wouldn't be an end in and of itself like you know if i'm going from miata to um you know the gtr i would sit in the miata and drive the miata so that i could be a better gtr driver i wouldn't hop in that miata to become a better miata driver does that make sense it does yeah and uh i, I think that's where so if i could fit in a miata i'm 6'3 i can't fit in a miata um I, I would have a miata right now because i think the miata class i mean specific to miata but also specific to cheaper uh you know lower technology cars is the racing class is so competitive so if you can excel in a miata in scca racing i mean that's that's really saying something because you're up against some stiff competition because anybody can buy a miata and start racing where if you're in you know a gt3 cup car you're up against only wealthy people who are who are good drivers so it's a much smaller pool uh, that you're in but um mm-hmm. i'm just throwing that out there with uh with miata specifically but uh yeah, no, I, I, I get what you mean. I mean, the goal is, you know, to drive a Formula One car, right? You want to drive the fastest thing that's available. And, and you know, Formula One car has all the gadgets, not that it's by any drive. But um, I'm sure I'm not talking like I have any experience. But, <laughs> but uh, 
uh, yeah, no, I, I get that, that the goal is ultimately to drive the faster thing. But um, I don't know, I, I, I would, I just, I love the feeling of driving a slow car so well that I'm going faster than the fast guys, the fast yeah, cars. Yeah, that makes sense. I can understand how that would, there would be a lot of enjoyment in that. And uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like if I had a Miata, I would want to ring the crap out of it and drive it as fast and hard as I could. And if I were in a racing series with other Miatas, like, yeah, I'd want to win. I'd want to beat everybody. And I would... I guess in that context, yeah, the the going fast in a Miata could not just be the means, but it could be the end as well. Uh, if I'm competing against other other Miatas, and you know, the desire to win is is certainly strong. So here's another and extreme. This, is is one time I took a um, a NASCAR out on um, you know one of those Rusty Wallace NASCAR things. So I'm taking a NASCAR on a an oval track, and I'm not braking. I'm lifting and then I'm accelerating and I'm turning left and I'm lifting. I turn left. I accelerate out of the corner. And because I wasn't even braking, I was literally bored. I couldn't wait for my drive to be over because the car, <laughs> the car didn't handle well. It was, it was a crap car anyway, but I was like, this is, this is boring. I would have more fun, I think in a video game than, than actually doing this. And I'm going, you know, triple digit speeds in this car. And I'm like, this right. is because I'm not doing as much. I felt yeah. more bored. So that's the other extreme when you take away braking even so you're just doing throttle and steering it becomes you know that's the that's the extreme of this is way too easy um versus a car that has you know it has a stick shift it has a clutch it has a brake gas steering wheel and now you have to play with buttons on the on the the steering wheel in order to change things and and you're readjusting you know things like all that complexity i think uh, i think adds a lot of cool things to it so i would rather the the drive be harder than uh than easy just from a fun yeah I mean, there, there, that argument certainly, um, certainly exists in motorcycling as well. Um, you know, there are there are plenty of people who poo-poo technology, but as far as track riding goes, um, there's no, there's really not a whole lot of debate about how helpful it is to ride a small displacement bike with no rider aids. Like if you just take your Kawasaki Ninja 250 out there on the track and like that's really the way that you learn how to ride on the track like there that's that's pretty common knowledge that the way to to really improve yourself or at least the best way to start on a track is to ride that slow bike fast and it's even recommended either now or right i'm sorry i was gonna say could you talk a little bit either now or later about rider aids because i actually don't know what rider aids are available on sport bikes oh yeah so um i mean you can finish it's interesting no no i was actually no i was actually gonna go on i was gonna go there because the technology on a motorcycle and the rider aids are not about the shifting for the most part actually it's very it's a that's a big difference between i think the the car kind of the car crowd and the motorcycle crowd like um as far as the gearbox and stuff is concerned i mean you can shift pretty quickly on a motorcycle definitely faster than a a stick shift car anyway so that might be a big factor like there's not that much of a difference between the full manual transmission and what's or not transmission but the full manual way of shifting where you have to pull the clutch in close the throttle up shift you know with your foot and then ease off the clutch roll on the throttle and like be on your way like that can all be accomplished very quickly in a motorcycle there's no dual i don't think there's any dual clutch transmission i mean maybe there is but they're pretty much too small for any kind of dual clutch transmissions and so the quick shifters of a motorcycle which is basically what like a quick shifter is what would be called the paddle shifting or the dct with paddle shifting in a car right so if somebody's saying saying quick shifter basically that just means that you can you can go up the up in gear without using the clutch and you you can just hammer that that shift lever and it will it will shift for you quickly and smoothly motorcyclists kind of the general consensus is that like the quick shifter and the gp shifter is actually a good thing it's a fun thing it just kind of enhances the experience and it is a lot of fun you can just go and um the clutchless upshift you know you're going in first gear like you just kind of go like that and clutchless downshifting is a thing too that some bikes have and so on that end of things motorcyclists are not really they don't really butt heads that much the way car people do over over the stick shift or not the rider aid thing though that is where things like abs brakes come into play um 
rear wheel traction control, uh, wheelie control. Really, the the ABS and the traction control are are some of the big ones. In a way, it is kind of a safety thing because traction control at the rear wheel. Are you familiar with the differences between the two main types of crashing in in motorcycling? Yep, but if you want to talk to our viewers, you can. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm making these motions with my hand, but you can't really really see them. Yeah, a high side is where the 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 rear wheel loses traction coming or in a corner, and then it suddenly regains grip and it flips the the motorcycle over and kind of slingshots the rider off of it. So the top goes kinda, in the direction of the outside of the corner. Correct. Yeah. So it's an excellent way to describe it, actually. Yeah. So the top of the bike, it it starts kind of leaning in toward the inside of the corner, toward the apex, and then gets flicked out toward the outside. And so the rider really kind of gets bucked off. And that's where you see the guys kind of flying through the air. So the rear wheel traction control is a big deal, uh, especially out on track. It's definitely a safety feature. Some people poo-poo it a little bit, but for the most part, everybody kind of understands that, yeah, it is a safety feature. When people poo-poo it, they're like, oh, my rear wheel traction control is my throttle hand. Like, okay. Because when you have that, it's it's really because when you have the traction control on, you can really wind up the throttle and just ping that thing as much as, as, as hard as you want, and you're not you're you're not going to put like the power is not going to end up going to the rear wheel all right Chaz, i think that uh wraps it up for this evening in this episode of the petrol head podcast i just want to remind our listeners out there to uh check out racing together the documentary about grand prix motorcycle racing that is available for free on red bull tv um that can be seen on uh, their website or on the red bull tv app and if you have any questions comments concerns commentary um, what have you about racing together or if you want to address anything related to the podcast questions or comments please feel free to email us at petrolheadcafe. Well, we do have a website, petrolheadcafe.com. Uh, you can do that. Contact us there as well. But we have an email address, which is petrolheadcafe at gmail.com. I'm Kyle saying uh, stay safe out there and protect yourself from contagions. And I'm Chaz Logue telling you speed safely. <laughs>